Welcome everyone to the podcast. My name is Muhammad Jama. And I am Ahmed Noor. Uh, this is a weekly podcast where we talk about the latest in our technology world. We are planning every week to go through one domain of our industry, be it software engineering in banking, healthcare, IoT, or cybersecurity, and discuss how it affects us and how can we get into that industry. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the third broadcast. Uh, today's topic will be browsers. We all use them, uh, whether we use them on our mobile phones or desktop, or however we use them to access the internet. But do we really know how they work? Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be an interesting topic for, for everybody. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Muhammad Jama here. Uh, yeah, welcome, welcome everybody to our third episode. So browsers, uh, Ahmed, what, 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 what do you know about browsers? Well, um, so the first time I ever used a browser, I just thought it was sort of like a peek into the, you know, into the internet, which it really is, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't really understand what happens in the background, but for me, I could just type in google.com. I could, you know, oh, back in the day, actually, this was what, yeah, like Yahoo. Yeah, right so this is this is before the this this is when our age shows right yeah. so this is way before we had google and things like that you know you'd go to yahoo you'd create a little email it was, it was quite fascinating to do this as a child um but you know as you kind of get older and older and as you you know since we sort of work in this field you learn there's actually a lot that happens in the background yeah. um so for example one thing that I think people may not fully understand is what happens when you go to someone's website. When I type in google.com, what is really happening, you know? Um, and I think it's useful to start like, you know, with an analogy like addresses. So when you type in google.com, are you really going to google.com? Is that a thing? And then you realize it's not a thing. It's actually like an IP address. It's a number dot number dot number dot number, yeah. isn't it? Um, so yeah. Yeah, so so everybody heard about the um, the, the organization called uh, ICANN. So ICANN is the organization that actually uh, holds everything together. It's called it stands for Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. Basically, if you want to kill the internet, you just destroy the the ICANN. They have thirteen main DNS root servers. So these DNS root servers are the ones that do the translation you just spoke about right now. So when you type uh, www.computing.so, uh, which is the Somali Computing Society web address, it will take the Computing SO and it will look around. First, it will look in your local uh, server, so your local ISP, whether it is, you know, uh, AT&T or, uh, you know, BT or whatever, and it will see if they have a record for uh, Computing.so. By record, I mean it's the translation, the IP4, IPv4, or IPv6 uh, address, which is you know the long number, the IP address where the web page resides, right? So the 13 DNS servers, and think about it like uh, you going, you going out, out and about, yeah. So Ahmed, you told me, come, let's go visit uh, our friend that lives in in a location that we've never been before, right? So they gave us a description, a big description of the location. They said it's a big red building at the end of the roundabout. You take a left and a right, and it's the third building at the top of that road, right? You don't really know where that is, right? You, you don't actually know until you, you, you go ahead and you get some sort of translation of those, that vague address, how does it look like? And that's exactly what we do when we type computing.so 
we hit something, we hit the cell tower and the cell tower hits the phone company and the phone company hits one of those 13 ICANN servers to be able to say, you know, computing this, so which number does it translate to, which is 192.222.12.1, for example. And, and once they do that, that phone company and the local cell tower, they cache the address. So if anybody else in the vicinity, they'll be able to go there without having to go through the, the big roundabout of, of searching for the IP address, yeah? So once we know, once we know where, where, where we're going, we need to let them know that we're coming, right? So that's, uh, there's something called the three-way handshake, right? It's a three-way TCP handshake, which starts with something called SYN, it stands for synchronized sequence numbers. So basically that's us telling them, hey, we are on the way. Once they get the message of us uh, on the way, they reply back with uh, their own sync and ACK. So ACK stands for acknowledge and sync, like I said, it stands for synchronized sequence number. So that's the only polite way of the you know, communication. We're coming and they say, yes, we're expecting you. And then we reply back to them and say, we acknowledge. So that's our way of communicating with that server and that server knows we are on the way. Now, off you go then, and then what happens? You don't actually go there, of course. This is just a simple analogy. Basically, you request the HTML page, right? And there's, of course, the security layer that back in the days they used to call it SSL. Now it's TLS, the transport layer security. And that involves five more uh, back and forth of sync and acknowledge to be able to say, hey, we're coming in a secure way. And, and that's basically how, how you get the address from computing the TSO to the IP address that the computer understands, right? Does that make any sense? Uh, yes, it, it does. But um, like the, the, the secure part. So I go on a website, on the corner it says, you know, next to the address bar, it goes, oh, be careful, this website is not secure. Or it may show a locked sign or some sort of thing to, to say, um, yeah, hey, you know what? This is a secure website, right? Like, what does that really mean? how do I know, you know, from what the browser is telling me that I can or I cannot trust this website? Right, so, so, so that little padlock, that means that website they, they invested into a, a security certificate. A security certificate, basically, it's an organization that they offer these, this multiple organization like VergeSign, for example, and they offer these certificates. Basically, they verified that whoever owns this address is a person that exists. So they normally, it normally involves, well, it used to involve a, a phone call or address for big cooperation. They'd be able to mail you something or call you to, valid, to verify that you are the person. So in that way, you are accountable. So whatever happens on that website, uh, you are accountable for it. And on top of that, it adds that extra layer of SSL, of TLS to your communication. So nobody could eavesdrop on you guys once you do the communication back and forth. Everything is encrypted, uh, asymmetric encryption, as I remember. So nobody will be able to see. So if you don't use the padlock, or if you don't, if you use a website that doesn't have the padlock, everything that you send back and forth from that website, it's not encrypted and it's sent as text. So anybody that have some sort of uh, proxy um, machine or proxy server will be able to intercept your communication and be able to digest the message inside it. For example, your username, password, or anything that you send through, right? And, and that's, that's, how you, that's how you protect yourself. You have to make sure that you have that little padlock on the top left. Yeah, so th these are two, two different things though, isn't it? Because um, what the secure website, it, what it's saying is um, you, you can, what is it? It saves you from someone else eavesdropping, right? So, well, in most cases, it, it means someone else can't, uh, you know, if you're sending information to your 
bank or to your, I don't know, like a supplier of some sort of data. Um, When you go to Facebook, when you go to, you know, it means that someone else in the middle outside, you know, outside of you and the other party, no third party can intercept that information. However, does that always mean you can trust the person? Well, if you go to an e-commerce website, then it is safe. It doesn't have that security, but, you know, you still have to make the decision whether you trust that individual. So it's an, it's an extra layer of security. Uh, but obviously, it still means that the person on the other end, it's your prerogative to, to this, you know, whether you trust them. But at least that first layer of security is there to make sure that no third person can, you know, um, snoop in. Yeah, basically, you can't trust that person. However, you cannot trust the third person. They could have, there is, uh, in cyber, we should do a cybersecurity episode, by the way. Uh, so there's, there's some sort of attack called man in the middle where they reroute your addresses. So you could see some of those fake URLs. Uh, if you bank with, uh, I don't know, NatWest, for example, they will, have, they will mistype NatWest. So they will look at the most mistyped ways to write a NatWest and they will just copy the whole website and the logo and everything, right? Or they will send you SMS and they will say, you know, reset your pin. And that's the man in the middle. So you log in and if they don't have the padlock, you know that website, you know, it's a dodgy website, right? And they're just trying to, uh, it's a phishing website basically. It's trying to get all your information, right? Yeah, quite interesting stuff. Um, for for a browser, you know, like it, it, it's a fascinating thing. The browser, you know, the architecture of the, of a web browser, and that's all of the web browsers, by the way. It's just it's fascinating the way that it it uh, it, it digests the data and the way that it presents the data is is it's really fascinating. So the browser splits into different um, sections, right? The architecture of a web browser will be. Uh, the first part will be the user interface. The user interface, that's where you have, you know, the address bar, the home button, the next button, right? And these, these are like the visual elements that just interacts with the user, right? And then you'll have something, uh, and, and that connects something called a browser engine. The browser engine is the core components of every web browser. So the browser engine is the, is the bridge. It's, it's the, uh, think about it, is the bridge between what you type in the address bar and the action that happens afterwards, right? So the browser engine, it connects to two things, right? It connects to something called data persistence. That's where, you know, you save stuff, you know, caching or local data storage, stuff like that. Uh, and, and connects to something called rendering engine. Now the rendering engine is the magic, right? It's, it's as the name suggests, it's the component responsible of rendering the whole web page that the user requests. It interprets uh, the HTML and XML documents along with the images and styles and formats, and it gives you the final layout, right? And we'll go, we'll go into the rendering engine in a little bit more details. Uh, and then the rendering engine connects to a networking component, and that's the component that helps you, um, uh, you know, use the normal protocols like HTTP or FTP. You know, back in the days, we didn't have FTP client, and that really shows the age, right? You, our FTP client was the browser. You know, if you open your browser, instead of HTTP, you type FTP, uh, semicolon back for back, backslash, backslash, you got a valid FTP client to be able to browse to any FTP server. Uh, and then you got the JavaScript interpreter, and that's why JavaScript, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the king of, of, the web, of the web, right? Because it's got a built-in interpreter in the browser. And that's responsible of parsing and executing the JavaScript code, right? Once the interpreter is also generated, that's why they forward it to something called the rendering engine to display 
the user interface, right? And the final thing is the UI background, you know, it's where you have all the, uh, you know, basic widgets, windows, combo box, forms, you know, the normal stuff that comes with every browser that, you know, text area, input fields, all this stuff. And, and that's, that's pretty much what, what, what constructs a browser. Yeah, so to summarize it, it would be the, the, the browser engine that sits in the middle uh, between the, 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 the engine that actually translates all of the files. So when you think about it, a website is just a bunch of files, isn't it? So once it's downloaded, once you've gone, you know, as in the previous example, once you've gone to your friend, you know, to, to your friend's office or place, you've picked up those files and, you know, you're now back on your own computer, you're back at your own browser, that's when you unpack it. So the, the rendering engine basically takes all of the HTML, JavaScript, all of that, and then trans, you know, gives it to the engine, to the browser engine, and then the browser engine figures out a way of you being able to see that in a you know, human-friendly way, yes. uh, which would be the user interface. Uh, by the way, JavaScript is the thing that makes all the fun things happen on a browser. Like, you know, when you click on something or when you hover over something, it does something. It's the thing that allows the, it's the thing that allows you to interact with the website uh, based on what you do, based on events. So if you click on a button, if you submit something, if you do this, if you do that, any kind of action that you do, yeah. it's controlled by the JavaScript logic. Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, 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 so the CSS will style it. The HTML will give it the foundation. The CSS is the paint that styles it. And uh, the JavaScript is all the interactivity, right? Yeah. Um, what like is it? Like, let's say... Interesting, yeah. interesting, JavaScript was written in 11 days by this fellow called Brendan Ick. He wrote it in 11 days. You believe that? I imagine. Yeah, I want to know if what I've done in the last 11 days will, you know, uh, affect the world. <laughs> so what happens afterwards, it does a technique called critical rendering path. That's the technique where it creates the DOM, the CSSOM, and the render tree layout and the painting part, right? We're going to go through uh, these elements uh, in, in a little bit of detail, right? So but let's take it from the bytes, yeah? Once we receive the bytes in our browser, it converts them to characters, like the HTML tag, for example. Uh, and then it creates uh, tokens. Uh, think about the tokens like the start tag for the head, HTML body, etc., right? And then it creates the nodes. So these are what you access via JavaScript or, or CSS. You know, when you say dollar sign body or document get element by ID, for example, these are the nodes that you access, right? And then when it's all that is finished, that's pretty much is the DOM, the document object model. For the CSS SOM, they do the same uh, technique. It gets the bytes, convert them to characters, create the tokens and the nodes, right? And that, that what gives us the DOM and the CSS SOM. Those are the object models that the browser uh, present to us. Now, starting from the root node, the browser goes through all the nodes that created, either CSS or, or uh, the DOM one, and matches the styles uh, and the rules of the CSS. So basically, it creates your HTML tag, and then it looks in the CSS render, uh, the CSS tree uh, object model, and then it takes whatever tag, and then it renders it and paints it. So once all that happens, that's what we call the render tree, or some people call it the layer tree, yeah? Oh, so let's say that um, 
you know when you see certain things and says oh uh this website uh, especially like whether you're just a user or you're a web developer there are certain things where on you know internet explorer this will uh, this will look different on edge you know or internet explorer will look different on uh you know uh Firefox or in Chrome or etc. Websites don't exactly display the same way, do they? Yeah, browsers. yeah, it's just because of the rendering engine, right? So these are proprietary thing, and every company have their own rendering engine. And uh, there's some companies that are a lot, uh, you know, open source, and they share the rendering engine. So what the rendering engine do? It it parses the HTML, constructs the DOM tree for you, and then it renders the tree. And then it renders the layout of the tree and then it paints the tree, right? Now, every engine have its own way of doing that. And that's why, or, or their own way of interpretation. There's no set standards for all of them. So yeah, that's they why sort of it, just yeah. work together in a way to, tacitly, but there's no actual, you know, standard. Like there's no, yeah, there's no organization that sets a standard or there's no, um, what is it? That's why quite often when you're looking at the website's code, it'll be like for this browser, this, and yeah. then for this browser, you know, we use WebKit or we use some type of thing, isn't it? Well, Internet Explorer was notoriously uh, problematic for everybody. I, re I remember Internet Explorer 5.5 when I started coding for it, it was a nightmare. So basically, remember how we spoken about early on about, uh, about the UI backend when we talked about the browser components? And the UI backend were like, how, how does the browser interpret an input field or a text area, for example? Now, these are the parts that's, that's notoriously uh, inconsistent between the browsers. And Internet Explorer had its own way of interpreting it. For HTML5, we used to have something called a DTD, which is the document type definition, right? And then uh, the, it's, it's the building blocks for XML, XML documents. So everything used to be XML based, right? And then Internet Explorer had its own way of how uh, the browser should render an input field or how the browser should interpret it, the CSS class that you did, right? And that's why it was, it was absolute headache for, for front-end developers specifically to be able to work with it and make it look consistent. That's why, you know, you, you spoke earlier on about if, you know, the, render, the, the user agent, which is the browser uh, sends, depending on the user agent, render different uh, style sheet, right? So every browser have a user agent and that's like their ID card they send to you. And then that user agent will tell the server, hey, I'm Internet Explorer. And that's why your if condition will say, if the user agent is Internet Explorer, send them the CSS file, right? Yeah, no, I remember the same CSS file. You have to go to like CSS tricks or some other website and it will be like, for this, this is what you use or, you know, it'll give you the, it'll give you the condensed code so that, you know, you can say for this website, this is how you do this certain. And then you have like three, four different things that are just basically the same, the same thing, but for different browsers. <clears throat> Yeah, and, and you know, the HTML is really underrated, you know, everybody think HTML is easy and whatever you do it the way, the way you want it to do it. But you know, you have HTML, you have to do it in a semantic way because the way, the way that the browser works, it goes from, you know, it goes from top, top, uh, top to bottom, right? So it will paint your HTML first, it will paint your HTML, and then it will load the CSS and then it will load the JavaScript. Because of the HTTP protocol, it allows you to get only like two files at a time, uh, something along those lines. With HTTP2, we'll be able to download more files. But that's, that's the main reason why people have the CSS on top and the JavaScript at the end. 
So when the users, you know, when you write your HTML document, you put your JavaScript files at the bottom and you put your CSS on the top. So when the user uh, be able to see a web page that looks user friendly, and then the activity will happen afterwards, the interaction with the JavaScript load. Now, if you put the JavaScript up, uh, up top and you have, let's say, five, six JavaScript, then your, your web page won't be able to render correctly. You know, the, it, it, all the rendering will stop until the JavaScript comes because the browser goes from top to bottom. So all the HTML is not going to get paint, uh, will not going to get paint until they download the JavaScript, you know. So uh, that's why semantic HTML is really important, the way that you put, you know, people have, you know, we have to look at the foundations uh, and you have to understand what's the inline, uh, what's the inline element, what's the block element are, that way your your web page will look user it will look friendly and semantic regardless if the CSS uh, did not download or render slowly or the JavaScript uh, renders slowly. That's why you should never ever use JavaScript to mess around with the layout of the website. You know, JavaScript is the last thing that gets rendered. Oh, okay. Um, I've been working with websites for a long time, and I'm I am not going to lie. Some of this actually went you know um, above my head a little bit. Some of the more detailed stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. I've worked with uh, I've been working with websites for a while now, but some of the stuff covered in this talk in, in this uh, broadcast actually went above my head. So it was it was quite fascinating. I, to, I learned a thing or two. Um, what is it like? What would you say about people that want to get into web development, uh, web design, or app design, or anything sort of related? Uh, to that field what would be the things you learn obviously i think people say learn html first learn css you know and then move on to things like javascript let's say whether you know especially whether you want to go into front-end development or back-end development what, what would you say for someone who's new would you go to uni would you go do a boot camp like all of that how do you approach this how would you advise someone who just said you know what i just finished high school or it doesn't matter it could be any age uh, you know how do i get into becoming like a great web web designer or developer or app developer so to get into front-end development uh, and that's pretty much uh, the part that you interact with the web browser the most uh, i really recommend people to uh, focus on vanilla stuff so to focus on vanilla html learn semantic html understand how does the html actually structured how is it painted on the browser and that helps you with the performance of your web page right uh, after that you need to focus on the css you know dump the frameworks do your own css file from scratch, try to understand uh, what is the, you know, people miss the, the C in CSS, which is the cascading part. You need to understand how does the styles cascade from one to another. And please, please do not go to W3 schools. That's a terrible website, so old school, and it doesn't really benefit you that much. I think uh, focus on the developer.mozilla.org. So just type MDN uh, on your browser and you will find, uh, it will take you to the Mozilla Developer Network. And these, the, these guys really teach you from the beginning, from the uh, basics, they teach you how to do semantic web. So I think that's the part that everybody should focus on. And when it comes to JavaScript, try to focus a little bit more on why, uh, you know, for example, if you use jQuery, cool, okay, but how does jQuery work? You know, when you do dollar sign, there's interpreter dollar sign, it just, uh, you know, it just, it just, engulfs something that says document get element by ID, for example. So you need to understand what is document get element by ID. And do you really need jQuery? 
remember earlier on we spoke about um, you know the, the how many how is the files are transported to the browser and we said uh, it costs a lot you know you could only cost like you could only request two files at a time so do you really need jQuery maybe you could just do with the vanilla JavaScript that's inbuilt and you'll be able to use it directly. That means your website will be faster and more user-friendly. Most of the time, you don't actually need any of these frameworks, right? So my, my, I recommend anybody to uh, go to the MDN, try to understand uh, how, do, uh, how, how does HTML, semantic HTML work, try to understand these frameworks that you're working with, how do they actually work before you start using them. So that's why I really recommend everybody to focus on the vanilla stuff. And then there's the important part here, which is the accessibility. You know, that's why your website, you need to be fully accessible. If you do an SPA, a single page uh, website, uh, you know, that wouldn't be really truly friendly and accessible for screen readers or people with um, impaired vision. That's why you need to make sure the web is usable by everybody. Okay, so in short, I want to be a developer. What should I do? Like in, let's say, quick bullet points, um, two or three bullet points. Okay. First of all, go to the developer.mozilla.org, NDN, and go through their tutorials from start to end, teach you all about HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and accessibility. Once you do that, then try to create your own portfolio website. For example, try to create www.ahmed.com, you know, buy a domain name, get yourself a little web hosting space and uh, put your HTML, CSS files there. No, that is true. Uh, I think especially in this kind of field, people don't appreciate the importance of, uh, well, when you start out, you don't appreciate the importance of a portfolio sometimes. So it's even when you're trying to get a job, get clients, anything like that, people will be like, okay, so what have you done before? How do I know that you're technically competent? So in that sense, yeah, it is, it is quite important to get, you know, get yourself a portfolio, have some examples of your work, it showcases, you know, it's like if you're a photographer, you would have, you know, a book full of all your photographies and there's other people, yeah. not all of it, but the best ones. So. Yeah, this was actually a very interesting episode. I may have to um, look up some of these things uh, myself. So thank you for listening to this broadcast episode on browsers. Uh, if you missed out some of the technical stuff, don't worry, there will be an article up that you can read and you will have all of the different bits that we have discussed. Um, so any questions uh, on this episode or on the next episode, please contact us on Twitter. It will be on cybersecurity and we'll be looking to discuss uh, that, especially with everything that's going on this year. We thought this would be a very relevant and exciting episode. Thank you for tuning in and see you next time.